Well, I'll be darned, y'all. It's Open Mike Eagle, and this is season two, episode 11 of what had happened was. Um, second to last episode of the season so far between uh, my conversations with Prince Paul and these conversations with LP. We have been doing 12 episode seasons. So this one here is our pen ultimate, and then next week is our knee plus ultra episode. I learned that word from MC Paul Barman. That means there's there's none after this one, but there's one after this one, the one you're listening to. There's there's none after the one next week. So that's the that's the knee plus ultra. It's some old some old Latin stuff. This week we are covering Run the Jewels three. Run the Jewels three, which kind of marks a departure for the group, not in terms of impact, not in terms of thump, not in terms of volume, but this addition did add a lot of vulnerability to the mix. And I have to say that word very slowly, vulnerability, because my mouth wants to say vulnerability. It just wants to take a syllable away just to make it um, easier to pronounce. But I can't do that, okay? I'm a, I'm a broadcaster. Damn it. I have to elocute. Actually, there's no rule. Anyway, that's an internal conversation. It's not for here. Uh, news for the Stony Island Audio Network, in which this show is a part of. This is my podcast network, which is home to all sorts of shows in the hip-hop space. We got Super Duty Tough Work with Blueprint and Illogic. We got the Fatherhoods Pod with DJ EFN, Manny Digital, and KGB. We have Can't Knock the Shuffle with Sean Kantrowitz. We have the Dad by Rap Pod with Damone. Carter, Nate LeBlanc, and David Ma. We have self-core with Baron Vaughn. And this week we added, as promised for the last two weeks, Mr. Dice Raw featuring Truck North from the legendary Roots crew with The Raw Report. And it is raw indeed. Them brothers is talking shit. They're talking big shit on the last one. Um, they gave Nicki Minaj a, a new nickname, Nicki Momnaj because uh, Dice is, is kind of obsessed with her in, in, the, in a MILF sort of way. They reviewed J. Cole's album. Didn't nobody ask him to, but they did it anyway. Um, they talked about Joe Button and them. It's, it's just a good show uh, with some people who've been in and around the business for a while and, and, and have some good commentary, and they're just entertaining brothers. So check that out, The Raw Report on Stony Island Audio. Also, um, if you're on YouTube... Search Stony Island Audio and follow our YouTube channel. We just started it, and we need people. We got all the content. We got full episodes of what had happened was. We got full episodes of The Raw Report, full episodes of self Quar on there. We've also incorporated channels which host uh, full episodes of Can't Knock the Shuffle. If it would behoove you, please go to wherever you listen to pod, whatever you're listening to this on, and rate this podcast, and if possible, review this podcast. We hope we've earned a five from you, giving you all of this uh, stuff that I genuinely think is good and, and it seems to be doing well and and people responding well to us. So please rate and review. It helps us out a bunch and um, raising our ranks and our numbers and, and all some such algorithmic nonsense. This is Open Mike Eagle. This is what it happened was. This is season two, episode 11 of my conversation with LP, El Producto. This is Run the Jewels. Oh, oh, yeah. Deluxe labor, the underground undertaker. The whole cape is independent as fuck flavor. 
audio exhibit, visit the history To him winning without fucking with the industry And him losing without fucking with the industry No illusion, we tracing every movement in the symphony This is official from lifting of pencils Cold flow the depth chucks up to the fist and the pistol I'm sending questions like infinite missiles Digging for details when stories from the past come up if he don't remember, then he has to shrug It's what the podcast does, what it happened was What up, y'all? We'll get back into it in one second But I need to take a quick moment And shout out our sponsor, DistroKid Man, so many of my homies use DistroKid it's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least 100 of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. My name is Open Mike Eagle, and this is the this is another installment, the penultimate installment. So our second to last oh, one. Yeah, man. I'm gonna miss you. Aw. I already miss you, man. <laughs> We're sitting here with our every week esteemed guest, Mr. LP. How you doing today, man? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm cool. I have no complaints apart from all of the previously logged complaints. <laughs> those are just, just, con- <laughs> yeah. just continuous. I guess none of those complaints have been addressed. So we can still rock with those complaints. The standard yeah, complaints. like I kind of had the same complaints that I had a year ago. <laughs> yeah, literally nothing changed. Yeah, yeah, this has not been good for complaint processing. No, we're here to talk about the third installment of your ongoing collaboration with Killer Mike, Run the Jewels. This is Run the yeah. Jewels three. Um, so now, like this machine is like going. Y'all kind of have this this thing figured out. It's working. It's gone from a thing where it's less like, oh, we got some energy and potential and we got some ideas. It's like, oh, this is this is working. And, you know, this is like a thing that y'all for sure at this point know how to do. And then that part of the business model has always been for y'all to, you know, release it for free along, you know, or in collaboration with a label that handles the label stuff. Right, right. So at this point, you know, going into 
the third installment, number three, is just feeling like a super dependable thing. Like, it feels like the risk is gone in a way. I mean, when you're in your 40s and you're trying to make relevant rap records, the risk is never gone. You know what I mean? True, like, it's true. It's not like it's just, it, still we never looked at it like, oh, it's a slam dunk. Like, we're just, we're just, we just got a free ride now. Right. Like, we, we have to fight really hard. Like, the way that we look at it is we have, to, like, our shit has to be iller than, like, every time, every time we would drop a record, people would be like, well, it's okay. That, that was amazing, but. Mm. obviously it's over now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we would start to get that, we would see that sentiment, you know, people will kind of start to think like, all right, well, it can't, it can't last. Like it's not gonna, they're not gonna keep going further with it. And we knew that that was the challenge. You know, we knew that mm. it was like, all right, well, whatever it is, is, it has to be deeper. It has to be really hard fought creatively. So no, I don't think that we ever thought it was just a, a shoe. And we do, we definitely do not approach the records like that. We approach it yeah. like, we're fighting for our fucking lives in a, in a sense. You know, you know, and I think you hear that. Like, when you listen to the records, you hear you and Mike pushing each other to make the music bigger and better every time. I think where I was coming from, from was more from, like, the business perspective. Right. Since it was so unorthodox at the time to release stuff for free, but by now, you all, like... Yeah, you know, this round on three, we decided to just do it ourselves. Oh, okay. So we had previously collaborated with... Um, Fool's Gold, and we had collaborated with Mass Appeal. And on this one, we were like, all right, let's just do it ourselves. Our team direct with a distributor. And I think that it was, it just kind of goes to the general sort of fluidness of the situation. And we're just trying, we're just sort of trying to, you know, see what works at the time. We designed it so that we never had any commitments further than whatever the project was we were doing at the time. Gotcha. Which is something that was hard fought, I think, over a whole career's worth of work. All of the philosophizing and, and, and thought that we've gone over in all of the approaches of business and stuff that, you know, while we've been talking, all kind of led to us at least knowing, let's put our, let's make sure that whatever we do, it's always a, a new choice as opposed to an obligation. And, and so we got to the point where we were just like, let's just do it ourselves um, and, see what, and see what happens. As much as the machine, quote unquote, might have been clicking and whirring and doing its thing, we were still kind of putting <laughs> new obstacles in front of right, us. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like every time. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, hey, this is going great. Let's fuck that up a little bit. Yeah, you know, right. See what... Let's figure out how to make this hard. Yeah, yeah. You know? Let's put way too much responsibility on our shoulders again. But it was, it was the natural move and we felt like we were really the driving force behind the, the promotion and marketing and everything of the records. But, and we were just like, all right, let's just go direct. Let's just do this record independently. So we did RTJ Records and, and we put the record on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like, speaking of the marketing and promotion, this album launched with music from Legend Has It playing in a teaser trailer for motherfucking Black Panther. Yeah. And the... The commercial, the trailer premiered during the NBA Finals. Right. The world is changing. Soon, there will only be the conqueror and the conqueror. I mean, so like, just yeah. before we even get into the business of all of that, like, like, what was the impact of that? Like, what did that feel like? I mean, it was huge for us, man. We're comic book heads when we were kids, you know what I mean? Like, Run the Jewels had really been embraced by that world. We were the first 
group, music group that Marvel did a variant cover with. And they did like three of them with us. We sort of kicked off that whole trend. We had just been embraced by a lot of the creatives in the, you know, that, that, that we could relate to in, in, in the sense of like, it really connected with how we got into music and art and, you know, so for us to have that opportunity to get our music into something that felt so culturally important, that movie was a big deal. Yeah. You know, it was a big fucking deal. It represented maybe like the first real step towards actualizing all the talk, which was that we need better stories and representation of other types of people in popular culture. And me and Mike really were down with that shit. And like, so it was a surprise to us that they wanted it and they ran with it and it was a big deal and they did that. And then there was like, it was just shit you couldn't expect. You know, Run the Jewels has always been this sort of like serendipitous, weird surprise ride mm. of like things happening that, you, you know, we can't make the shit happen. It has to be, it has to just kind of come to you. It's like, you don't, you don't step to Marvel and say, put our song in a movie, you right. know, like you... You just sit there and hope that something cool happened. Not only on top of that, but there was also this viral thing that happened, which was that there was this school. Remember that's the school, the kids dancing, and they were like they were all in the lunchroom and they were all dancing. And they were all dancing to Legend Has It. And it was like a, a black school primarily. And they had, I guess their teacher had they had announced that they were taking everybody to see Black Panther. And they were all so flipping out in the lunchroom and dancing to the legend has it beat. And it became this big, this viral sensation. So there was all this really cool shit that was happening that we felt really good about. It's like, you know, it's one thing to get like a commercial, you know, it's another thing when there's something like real joy happening and, and, and you're associated with it. It, was, it didn't really, it wasn't about us as much as it was like, we were just lucky to be a part of something cultural that mattered to people, like brought joy to people. So it was pretty crazy that that was happening. We didn't expect it. And there's always some weird shit that pops off, it seems like. But, and, and it's one of the reasons why I love Run the Jewels, because Run the Jewels has always felt like genuine, unplanned, natural sort of confluence of, of like good vibes, you know? So yeah, that was, that was huge. That was crazy. So... um. On this LP going into number three, we, we've talked in the past about how the different covers and iconography change, uh, where it goes from the chain and the fist and the pistol, and it changes from project to project. So on this one, yeah, there's no chain, and the hands are gold. So yeah. what is this symbolizing for y'all this time around? Well, this is sort of part of the journey. This is something that I came to sort of in thinking about it. I've always been very um, much attached to the the artwork. I've been integral to the whole thing. I sort of told a story about how we sort of started to realize that the fans started to define what the Run the Jewels thing meant for us. You know, throwing the hands up was a big, powerful thing that started, that continued and, and, and really blossomed in a big way. Run the Jewels too. And, you know, we did the bandages, which sort of to us represented a transformation. Like there was something, you know, there was some... There was some injury and there was some healing happening or there was some transformation happening. And as I was trying to think about what that transformation was and where we could go with the next one, I started thinking about the chain and started thinking about what it what it meant from the beginning towards the journey of what it, it evolved to mean to us. 
And we started thinking about it and we realized that like when kids throw the fist and the pistol up at us, there was no chain, you know, there was no chain. And it wasn't about as much about the original, like, give me your shit. Right. It started to be reclaimed and it was more like a symbol that people were throwing up to represent them. And it started to occur to us that the cool thing to do would be to make us some visual statement about how that, that it was almost like when you took the bandages off, the surprise was to all of us that it wasn't ever about taking something someone else had. It was always just about claiming what you are, you know? The idea that you were, the, you know, you're the jewel. That in fact, you've been alchemized. This has been alchemized into the jewel, the gold. And that was the idea, you know, basically saying like, you know what? The chain doesn't matter. The chain doesn't matter. It was the hands that mattered. It was the, it was the symbolism that mattered. It, it was you. It was you who has the symbolism and are throwing it back at us. That is what it is now for us. You know, it's a little, it's a little high, highfalutin. Uh, you know, conceptually, like, hey, the jewels were the friends you made, you know, along the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, but that was kind of how it was. That was kind of how it, we felt. Like, nah, it was you. It was us. It was the whole. It was the idea. It wasn't the possession. It wasn't the the goal. And I think that that's something that you just sort of, as you get older, anyway, you sort of start to uncover a little bit, right? It's like it was never really. It's ultimately really not about a achieving something that's outside of yourself. It's about recognizing and becoming at peace with what you do contain, what you are. And we just thought on our journey to bringing it closer to the people and on our journey to bringing it more intimately into people's consciousness, that it's a lot easier to to acknowledge and relate to the fact that you don't need that, that there's not some external thing that you're missing that you have to obtain in order to be a part of, you know, and also, you know, talking and building with Sassenti, who's an old collaborator of mine who I worked on all the way from All Sleeping Your Dead to Cancer for Cure to, you know, doing Run the Jewels videos and, and other Run the Jewels art. And we wanted to kind of bring it out of the cartoonish sort of caricature of what it had been and, and sort of make it a little bit more vivid, make it a little bit more beautiful. So that was that was the idea. So we 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 had these hands made. We cast these hands. Oh wow! Um, all, out of the out, you know, based on the original drawing, which was based on my just sending him a picture of my hands and you know with holding a chain. So we had these things cast, and then we brought them to a studio, and we 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 had Sassenti shoot them in a really beautiful way. It just felt like uh, an acknowledgement of everything, of the forward momentum of the thing. I think that if we had just continued to try and dress up the original drawing, it would have just kind of started to feel like it was recycling something or pushing an idea further than it needed to be. We're a family. Like we always bring and, you know, bring our family along in whatever way we can. And we try and build off of it. We don't, we don't, we're not really ditching, you know, and starting fresh. We're sort of, it's all, it's all been an evolution. And that's really how we approach the music. Run the Jewels is not the type of group where we're going to drop an album and all of a sudden it's going to completely rewrite what we do. It's not going to be some brand new sound that nobody, you know, no one could have expected. <laughs> like, oh shit, they want acoustic. Like, it's always a, a, a sort of a, an evolution and a deeper dive into the groundwork that we've laid. And the, and the innovation hopefully comes in the exploration of that. So we try and maintain the things that we understand about ourselves that are great um, in the context of our group. 
and then see where we can grow those things. Where can we bring those things and, and, wh- and where can those things change? Point being is that everyone's still involved, you know, mm-hmm. even in some way, you know, if it's not the drawing that we base the first two on, it's still he's his drawing is now brought with us into this now new sort of three-dimensional realm. So um, holding on to this idea of like finding the gold, like that's such a dope theme. And we're going to unpack that more in a bit. But that statement, that theme, it feels like something that's like an end goal. Like it seems like something you mm. find at like the end of a story, or the end of a journey. So I'm wondering, as you all are going into this album or going into any album, are you going into it thinking that this is the last one, this is the end? Or are you going into it thinking that, you know, we're probably going to end up doing another one? I have a little bit of both, I think. I think to some degree for, for our own mental health and for our own fresh perspective, it's always been very important for us to feel like every record that we did was a choice that was right, right. for us at the time. Right. That it was never an obligation and it was never like, oh, we have to do this. This is this is just what we are now. I mean, you have to understand that me and Mike were career-long artists before we met each other. And every Run the Jewels record has been a detour from our original path. A good detour, a great one, one that we embraced, one that was surprising, but still we always made it a choice. And and there will be a time where it doesn't make sense for the next project for me and Mike to do, to be a Run the Jewels record, you know? Mm-hmm. So to some degree, I do believe that we always kind of look at the record as the last record. Not like we frame it that way, but in the sense that we put that energy into it. So another question I have for y'all is like, how do y'all go about picking singles like how do y'all do that like every song y'all make sounds like it could be a single so how in the world do y'all decide like you know pick this one make a video for this one make a video for all of them because they all bang thank you um but some bang harder than others you know i don't know i always just i always subscribe to like the just go for the hardest banger that's just like that's kind of what i've always done because because you know we're not making radio records our songs are not getting played on the radio. Some of them have, but for the most part, we, we're unencumbered by the responsibility of writing something radio-friendly. So it's really just about like, what's the shit that people are just going to bang out, like nod their head to? And I just think it's a vibe. It's a feeling, man. Sometimes we choose wrong, too. I mean, mm. honestly. Like, I think that that happened with Run the Jewels 3 in terms of the first thing that we dropped. That was always something that we we lamented because that what actually one of our managers, Will, was like, I should have never let you motherfuckers do that shit. And that was that was because we dropped 2100 the day after Trump got elected. How long before the hate that we hold leads us to another holocaust? So we so deep in it that we can't in it stop, hold, ever call it off. It's too clear, nuclear, too near, and the holders of the Molotov. Say the revolution's right here, right now, and they ain't calling off. Wake up, roll like eight up, throw a double finger with a fist. Here at the abyss, I will be a tour guy. It is wartime, check your wrist. Ready, kid? Over to your right, shine a light. Got a baby ready for the fight. I just want to live. I don't want to ever have to load a clip. Only hunt bliss. And the reason we did that was because we just felt like... We, we we were in our emotions about the shit. We felt in, we were in you know we were in pain and we felt like everyone else was in pain and we felt like we had a jam that spoke to that pain. We basically just modeled our instincts after what people are feeling. You know, we've never followed any traditional type of rollout, and our rollout has always been our gut about what people want from us at the moment to a degree. Like oh. 
we feel it. People want the record now. Fuck it. We're jumping street date. You know, yeah. like that's just been us. Like it's been us being feeling like we're in tune. It's one of those like too soon type of vibe. You know what I mean? Like I think that when we dropped that, there definitely was a lot of love for that song. But also I think that it just it just hit too close to home. Like the vibe was just too much of a of a downer for the moment. Everyone was already down. And sometimes what you need to do is provide a different feeling for someone. And I think Run the Jewels is really good at providing a little bravado in the face of disaster. Mm. And that's like one of the things that we've given people. It's not like we're giving people like everything is going to be fine. That's obviously not what Run the Jewels is. But I think that what Run the Jewels does well is uh, gives motherfuckers a little swagger in the face of disaster. A little bit of an excuse to proverbially hold your nuts, you know, against forces that are uncontrollable. Because that's the cornerstone of the human spirit. That's the cornerstone of goodness, right? Goodness is not victory. Goodness doesn't equate to victory all the time. That's not just a given. You know, goodness is not something that just has the automatic win. Um, right. Strength and goodness is not so, always from the vantage point of power, at least not in a large scale. But the thing about goodness is that the power is the small power, the real immovable and um, uh, fundamental power that will change things is the way that people feel about how the shit is affecting them and whether or not it defeats their spirit or, or doesn't. And so I think, that, I think that if I had my choice again to do that rollout, I would have just dropped you know, legend has it, which was always the idea. I mean, this is our first single that went gold. It really was the right song. It really was going to connect with people. But I remember dropping that first one and thinking that we were doing the right thing, but then kind of realizing like, mm, I don't know if I was feeling really bummed, which I was, but if I was just on the other side of it and I was feeling really down and someone was like, here's a really sad song for you, <laughs> you know, here, I might be like, eh, thank you, but maybe I'll wait to listen to this one. Which is all just to say, you know, you don't, you don't know, you don't always know. We've always just gone on our instinct. We're just people who just do shit. We feel connected to our audience and we usually hit, you know, in terms of like the pacing and what we think is our role in the moment. And that's all. That's how we base it all on, you know, like what makes us smile? What from what we're doing hits closest to our fandom about the music? That's how we choose it. It's, it's, it's that simple. So, yeah, it is a politically charged climate at the time. And Mike is getting like very politically active, especially like supporting Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders in the primary. And so I'm curious, yeah. so all of this stuff going on while you all were making the album? Yeah. It was, a, it was a bit of a tough record to make. Once we were in the studio, it was never tough. Oh, okay. The circumstances leading up to it, the, the climate of the country, the, cli the emotional climate, it was a year of seeing extrajudicial murders of black men, um, uh, you know, in America. So it was where a lot of the attention of all that was really coming into the consciousness of every, everybody's purview, not just the people who were affected in just those communities who traditionally were the ones who saw it, but it never really got exposed to the larger group of people. You know, there, there's this huge divide and separation between the reality of the way the power structure works in America and the perception of the way it works for a lot of people even people who consider themselves liberals and consider themselves good people. And so it was a year that we were all being exposed in a real way 
because of social media and because of the advent of technology, a dark and sad and disturbing reality, I think just at a more rapid pace than, than any other previous year. Uh, and again, because of the confluence of, of technology, that was what made the difference. You know, it, it, it's not that this was a different type of year, it's that it was a different type of exposure. And even for people who are who are used to it, experienced it, and do not have any delusions or illusions um, about the scenario, traditionally, still being exposed to it on that level. I remember when you were a kid, man, you had to go rent Faces of Death to see someone die. Right, right. That was like a big deal. Yeah, that shit fucked me oh, up. Oh, shit, some dude just parachuted into a fucking, you know? Into the concrete. Some dude just parachuted into like a pond with a with a gator in it. That's crazy. Why did I watch that? That's horrible. It was this, you know, the the idea of a snuff film was about as mythical and disturbing as you could as you could possibly imagine. Fast forward to 2016 and the snuff film had become a part of our daily routine. Right. So not only for people like me who are not directly in the community of people that are being affected or who are being murdered, but also for Mike who's fucking of the community, of the skin color, of the exact specifications of the people that are being murdered and filmed being murdered, and we're watching these clips over and over and over again. In the meantime, you've got this fucking piece of shit, wannabe dictator, fascist pig, gaining momentum in the political sphere. Well, you know, all of the discourse and all of the confusion and all of the pain of that year, it made it hard for us to even get together sometimes. You know, mm. Mike would just be like, yo, man, I, I can't even do this right now. And I would just be like, I get it. All right, I'll continue working on this music and when you're ready, you come and we'll work. And so I think you could hear it in the record. It really did affect us. And I think that we just allowed it to. And I think that more than any other record that we had done up until this point, there was a sadness to this record. There had never really been sadness in Run the Jewels because it wasn't a naturally occurring thing you know, for us yet as a group and as maybe even as friends. We had found ourselves in the crosshairs of what was happening. You know, We were in St. Louis the day the verdict came down, the, you know, the Mike Brown verdict came down. We played a show that night. That was the first time that I felt it, where it was like everyone, every artist who was performing in St. Louis was getting out of St. Louis. We were headed into St. Louis, into the eye of the hurricane, you know? That was the first time that I felt that Run the Jewels was caught up somehow, not purposefully, but that we were somehow riding this wave of, of feeling and of history and of something that we were there. We were being positioned through randomness and through um, serendipity almost um, to have to say something, to have to represent something you know, in the face of this stuff. And me and Mike are men. We're not kids trying to just get famous here. We're, we've been around for a minute. We have ideas. We have ideals that we have fought hard for and that we knew, our, we knew ourselves pretty well and what we meant to each other. And, and we started, I think, to realize what we might mean to people who supported us and, and the people who see a black man and a white man on stage every night being friends with no explanation, 
with no pretense. It all just fed into our emotion and our thoughts about all this. We were right there in our heads. We weren't incapable of, of ignoring. Of ignoring, of ignoring. And now a word from our sponsors. Peace, y'all. We're going back to the action of the conversation in just a second, but we wanted to give a prideful, happy shout-out to our sponsors. This week, Better Help. Ooh, my goodness, y'all. I did a show last night. I did one of my first... Uh, shows back into the world that's open. It was a, a a comedy show. I used to do a bunch of those. I did one last night, and I came out of it feeling like, I don't know if I want to do those anymore. Um, the comedy thing has been part of my creative identity for a long time, but I no longer know if I fit in that world or if I want to do my music in a way that uh, appeals to people in that world, quite honest. I'm having um, what some might say is an existential a crisis, and that's just the sort of thing that the good folks at BetterHelp can help out with. They ask you questions like, what interferes with your happiness? And they're asking you if something is preventing you from achieving your goals. In my case, it's just having a hard time seeing myself outside of myself, which is something that it's good to have an expert to help with. BetterHelp can help assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist with which you can connect in a safe and private online environment and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. And it's not a crisis line. This is not self-help. This is professional counseling done securely online. And you'll get timely and thoughtful responses and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Everything you share is confidential, convenient, is professional and affordable. And if you want to start living a happier life today as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash WHHW. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash W-H-H-W. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. So when this record came about and we made this record, I think that we we just allowed ourselves to feel it. And um, I think that I found myself creating more moody soundscapes for this record. I think that we kind of just went there. It wasn't just about making bangers. And we did make a lot of bangers, but there was another element of this thing that, that just naturally needed to happen for this record. And the reality of it is, is that that's not necessarily a surefire bet. I mean, right. going back to what you were saying, it's one thing to make a bunch of bangers that you know people are just like, hey, across the board, whatever you're feeling, you're gonna you like a, a great beat and a and, and style, and it's just and that energy is there and it's dependable and it's outside of the spectrum of politics. It's outside of the spectrum of you having to define yourself. It's just something we can all agree on. It's a banger. We took the risk a little bit of just saying, you know what, we do actually stand for something. Right. We do actually we do actually believe something. And you, you feel know? some kind of way about what's happening in the world. We feel some kind of way about what the fuck is happening in a real way. And we're going to risk being a bit genuine about it. Mm. <laughs> we're going to we're going to risk not we're going to take a little bit of the tongue out of our cheek here and risk exposing our hearts a little bit here. And, and, ex and, and that is a risk because some people just don't want to hear that shit. Like it can be overbearing. Sincerity <laughs> can be a lot. It can, when someone's really genuine about something, it either connects with you or you're not in the mood to hear that shit. You know, that was the vibe of the record. I think that was the truth of where we were at. And I think a great example of that is Thursday in a Danger Room. 
It's a beautiful song. You got a great contribution from Kamasi Washington yeah. on it. And in your verse, it feels very much like you're talking to the dead. Right for right, wrong for wrongs is clearly not life designed. Figure out quickly that nothing gets answered when you ask the universe why. Life is a journey, the live is the worry, the love is to lose your damn mind. The living's the blessing, so I'm not stressing, cause some of my friends they survive. That's the release, but I'm much bigger pieces of living on limited time. Like, how do you look in the eyes of a friend and not cry when you know that they're dying? How do you feel about yourself when you notice sometimes you would wish they were gone? Not because you didn't love them, but just because you felt too weak to be strong. Like you're having a oh, conversation yeah. with somebody from the beyond. One would assume potentially talking about Camus. Oh, 100%. That was about Camus, 100%. You know? Well, Mike had written a verse. He wrote his verse first. And his verse was really powerful. And it was about, as he framed it, it was about forgiveness because he is essentially forgiving the killer of one of his friends. No killer was captured, but I know he listed, so I'd like to tell you a song. The streets was a jungle, I pray that you made it, I hope that you righted your wrongs. I hope that you learn, I hope that you change, so your mama won't know this pain. So my homie's name will mean something more than a nigga got killed for a change. You know, in the jam. You know, it was a, it was a real deep street tale to some degree, right? I mean, it was a real story, and it was a real sentiment. It was something that was intimidating for me to some degree because I was like, all right, this is so from your heart. This is so much from Mike's heart that in order to, for this to be a Run the Jewels song, I got to really dig deep. This is one of the things that I'm proud of us because that was one of the example of a song where it was like, the art of Run the Jewels is, is, is in a lot of ways just trying to, kind of figuring out how we are different and where we intersect as artists and as thinkers and as men and wh why we can appear on a song together. And sometimes it's a very easy reason. And other times you have to dig a little bit deeper to really honor your partner, you know? And one of those times was this song where I was like, I have to honor Mike by trying to figure out, extrapolating what the theme was and then being honest about not trying to tell an equal type of story pulling something from my life. And what I realized was that it was not about the details of the story. It was about the fact that it was a real pull from his life. And that was something that we hadn't really done yet in Run the Jewels. We had done a little bit, but we hadn't really made that just this raw, full-on, like, okay, I'm giving up some one of my big pillars of emotional conflict. I'm giving this up to this you know, group. To reference your solo work, there hadn't been a last good sleep. There hadn't been a stepfather factory inside of Run the Jewels. Correct. And, and that's a big commitment. That's like a, as a person, you collect certain things and they're yours to use if you can and when you, need, you feel like it's the right time. So giving it to something is, a, is almost one of the most vulnerable things you can do. You know, giving it to your group with your man is a step. So for me, I was like, all right, this is ultimately at the end of the day about forgiveness. And in this song, Mike is forgiving someone who had done something terrible. But he, but Mike is tapping into his empathy in a way that that really takes some some guts to say, even though even beyond that that violation, I still hope you're you're healed. Mm. Whatever made you that way, you know, and whatever made you do what you do, I hope that you've healed because I know that that's from trauma. You know, also this is how I interpreted what he was saying. What I dug into and what I realized was that. Not only was it about forgiveness, but it was also about loss. 
he was telling a story ultimately also about someone that in his life that he loved that had that was dead. You know? The forgiveness part for me came towards myself. That my verse was about trying to forgive myself for a lot of the guilt that I had uh, for the internal debate and conversation with myself um, during the time when my friend was dying of cancer. And, you know, watching him disintegrate and going through that process and having moments of wishing that it was over, which is something really hard to confront. And it's not something that I don't, I, I, I don't look at it as like, that's how I really wanted it. But when you're dealing with it, when you're in that process of the pain that comes with somebody slowly dying in front of you and all that comes with it, you wouldn't be unique if you had a few moments of just being like, I just wish this shit was fucking over. And I just wish he was gone because it's, it's inevitable and the process is so painful. And, you know, I always carried that guilt with me of even just having that thought, even just for a fucking second. And so I wrote that verse for me was trying to wrap my head around forgiving myself for not feeling strong during that time. And also a chance to tell my friend that I was, that for me, he's still around. You know, for, he, for me, he's still, he's still part of the conversation. I talked to him, you know, that, that was where the hook came in. You know, I wrote that hook trying to bridge what me and Mike were saying in the easiest way to do it. And me and Mike had a couple of touchy conversations about it because I think that he had to come around to the way that I was approaching the hook because I kind of turned it into maybe you could say something else. But ultimately, we were good, but I think it was tough. It was like a two artists saying something really raw. You know, it's like the raw and the more emotional and the more the more honest you get in the song the more touchy it is in, in, in terms of the, the, the choices, the artistic choices and how it's framed or whatever. You know, I had to explain to him why I turned the hook into like a, a sort of a homage to someone gone in your life. I, you know, I'm only talk, saying all this because, yeah, that, that particular song was sort of a real thing for us on that record. And I think you hear the results, you know? And that's the process. It's like, there's no artistic triumph if there was no strain or if it's not hard fought, you know, those moments that are hard fought end up being the most important moments. And the moments that are easy and fun can also end up being important, but mostly they just end up being easy and fun. And that's cool. Those are, those are important records, but the ones that, when I think about that album that ultimately defined that album are the ones that are the, like, tested our friendship, tested our relationship in terms of us being able to write together two separate guys, two separate lives, completely different types of minds and making, like, really giving ourselves up to the fact that we, we had um, committed each, to each other to make an artistic statement mm-hmm. together. Wow. That's, that's amazing to hear. And I think if the theme for this album as I'm interpreting it, it's finding the goal, then that's it right there. Like digging inside, getting into it, like finding the beautiful, making it happen like in the midst of an of an ugly time. For sure. So message to the shareholders. So the way I'm interpreting this um, for y'all as a group addressing uh, people to me, the way I'm interpreting it as the shareholders of the fans. Where are horses? I mean, a horse is a horse, of course, but who rides is important. Sitting high with a uniform, barking orders, demand an order. And I'm scared that I talk too much about what I think's going on. 
I got away with this, they might drag me away for this Put me in a cage for this, I might pay for this I just say what I want like I'm made for this But I'm afraid some days I might be wrong Maybe that's why me and Mike get along Definitely Okay, good, because there was this other angle where like Is it also to the critics or? No, no, it was, it was yeah, it was a report to the shareholders. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was like, here's the current state of 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 this thing you've invested in. <laughs> you know, there's a a poem that I sampled for a song called Patriotism that I did word, back in word, the day. Co-flow. Company flow song, but it was just me on there. Where he's like, "Who's America?" That's from I forget his name exactly. And I had this record, and it was his poem, and and it was a it was a report to the it was a message to the stockholders or something like that. It was something like that. Report to the stockholders. He fell off his crane, and his head hit the steel floor and broke, like an egg. He lived a couple of hours with his brains bubbling out. And I just always loved that title like as it's like this random like almost ironic just one dude being like (laughs) reporting to like the shareholders like who are the shareholders you know um but it's like using using corporate language against itself i do think that we have especially even with this album that we were very cognizant of the fact that people had invested in us yeah and when i say shareholders i don't mean it literally Either I just mean in, in how we spoke of the idea of Run the Jewels uh, became bigger than what you all had expected. And in yeah. a lot of ways, people were able to access it and project stuff onto it bigger than what you thought. And that we no longer were the sole proprietor. Exactly. Exactly. And that was really what this album, in a lot of ways, had some themes of recognizing that. It was just sort of our internal realization about Run the Jewels, which is like, yeah, this isn't just ours. This is a living art piece that that is being contributed to by the people that are being affected by it. That was another song where it was more of a Jamie and Mike thing than it was a Run the Jewels thing. We weren't in character in that song at all. That was very much, had to be very clear and raw. So yeah, the idea that we were just being like, hey, here's some shit that is real about where we're at. (laughs) um, For me, it was just sort of confronting and saying a few things about some of the shit that was happening with Run the Jewels and how it was affecting me in the sense that I was feeling some fear. Like I, For the first time, I was feeling a little bit of fear. I've had a good career with a great fan base, and I've always been able to do my thing. But now we were blown up. Like This shit was blowing up. We knew it was blowing up. It was bigger. It was clearly bigger than anything either of us had done. And motherfuckers were listening to what we were saying in a real way, in a bigger way. I used to be able to say anything <laughs> and be really secure in the fact that there was only a certain amount of people that were going to hear that shit. Now we are being thrust into the spotlight, not just for musicians, for just for being musicians, which is all I ever really wanted to be, but the political shit that we were saying was being spotlighted and, and was being like brought into the forefront. And we're saying some fucking shit, you know, during a period of time in which there's there's some shit going down. For someone like me who's always been in the cut, like I always cherish my privacy. I always cherish my ability to maneuver. I've never held myself like I was famous. I've never walked around thinking that people knew who I was. And me realizing that that had been changing and me realizing that the shit that I'm saying, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, yeah, I'm a little scared, man. And I'm still saying what the fuck I'm saying. I'm still doing it because I think that that's 
what has to be done. But you'd be a fool not to not to think about that shit and be like, damn, like, <laughs> you know, kill your masters. Like, we're saying that shit. To load up the silos and make your babies glow. It's so abusive, you beg somebody to root for you. To snatch your hope up and use it like it's a hula hoop. And it's a loop, they talk to you just like their rulers do. These fucking fools have forgotten just who they're fooling who. Kill you, kill kill you, kill so I sort of tried to confront that a little bit in that, like, just like, that's the most honest I could get. Like, look, you've heard the bravado kick in the door, parachute out an airplane and land in the fucking on the horseback, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like LP character that I love to do with Run the Jewels, which is fun and hilarious and obviously tongue in cheek. But there's another version of it. There's another guy here that's just Jamie and just a person who's like, there's a certain safety and you know, in being below the radar that for the first time I was like, I was confronting myself and being like, sometimes I have these moments where I'm I question whether or not I've really got the fucking gravitas and the fucking bravado and the fucking inner strength to risk saying what I say and yet I'm still saying it. And so, you know, this is that was kind of what I think what I was trying to confront in that verse and just and 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 it was one it was also very vulnerable for me because you don't I don't like really admitting fear. Mm. But what else do I have to give? I you know, it's like all I the only thing I have to contribute in those moments, the only gift that I can give anybody <clears throat> is is honesty. That's all I have. It's it's like the only it's the only um currency that I have to spend with anybody. It's the only thing that makes my participation in music and in writing and in the culture of hip hop genuine is that I'm okay with exposing myself a bit. You know, when time is right, you know, it's just hard as a person. It's like, shit, I don't want to tell motherfuckers that sometimes I fucking lay up at night being like, I don't know if I want this. We could make 12 songs about us smoking weed, being dope rappers, slapping poodles and punching <laughs> baby bears in the face. And there'd be that one song on there that articles get written about and all of a sudden Run the Jewels is, is, is Public Enemy 2.0 and shit, you know? You struggle with that a little bit. You're like, well, uh, that's one thing that I do. But a story has to be framed. And we realized that the stories were being framed in that way. And we also realized that we were on this like, Somehow we were on this unstoppable collision course with the moment. Mike being out there with Bernie, us finding ourselves, you know, in these situations where, for better or for worse, we were involved in the zeitgeist bigger than just being two rappers having a good time. And that's really where it started. And so when you're confronting what it looks like now and what, you know, what it is, it, it can be scary. And, um, at the end of the day, you just say, well, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? but, but hey, it has to be noted. Like, I, I have to note it. Like, I'm just offering you the truth of my humanity here. And, then, and maybe that truth will lend some trust to me so that you can then follow me and, and, you know, and go elsewhere. And in the meantime, I'm going to reward your belief in me or your support of me by giving you something that is scary to give you. Well, shit, man. We could talk about this forever. Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to ramble. No, nah, not at all. I think these are actually, like, fascinating answers to these questions. Like, especially trying to get at the heart of what makes 
this particular album in the Run of Jewels catalog hit a little different than the others. And that's kind of what I want to get at, you know, to wrap up. So y'all have injected vulnerability into this project, a lot of heart into this project, and y'all have y'all have given a different dimension to the act of, of Run the Jewels. And creatively, like you've said, that can be a little risky when people are used to a thump and a bang and a sound and the escapism that kind of comes along with that. Um, instead, y'all giving them a healthy dose of truth this time. And I'm, I'm curious, um, how was it received? What is your experience of how it was received this time around? It was our biggest record um, up until that point. I mean, it was, it was, and we dropped it on Christmas Eve. So we dropped this record with literally, it was completely the anti-industry drop. Right. Like we dropped, we didn't send it out to critics. We didn't send none, none of that. Cause I think that we just, it was, it was, it was done when it was done. It wasn't, it didn't go much deeper than like, I know we're supposed to drop this shit next year, but yo, let's drop this shit on Christmas. Fuck it. It just seemed like an extension of, of the spirit of what we have been doing. And especially in a year where motherfuckers had just we're just facing the fact that the next four years at least of their lives were going to be dominated by this by this demagogue. I think it hit our fans and it hit the world really hard, but it slid under the industry. We weren't really cooperating with the industry on this one. But we weren't thinking about any of that shit. We just weren't thinking about it. We were just, we felt so directly connected to the fans and we felt, I think we were still a little bit thinking that we were still just this ragtag small group. Despite the fact that it, it had clearly grown, we didn't really embrace it. We didn't really understand how big it had gotten still. So we just figured, what does it matter? We're industry outliers. Like We're doing everything differently than anyone does. And we're never going to get anything on the radio. We're always going to be outside of the system. You know, We've given our records away for free. What does it fucking matter if we drop it on Christmas Day? So we did that. And we took a calculated risk with that record and being like, you know what? Everything else has been like 10 songs. It's been really brief. It's been really like in and out. Like, yo, we're hitting you. We beat you the fuck up. It's fun. It's crazy. This shit is dope. It bangs. We say a couple of things that mean something, and then we bounce. And we, before you even realize what happened, this shit is you know, starting over again. This time, we actually made the calculated decision to allow ourselves a longer record, to allow ourselves to kind of go there. And it was longer. It was like 14 jams. And the songs um, themselves were longer, too, in many cases. Some of the songs were, yeah. Some of the songs were genuinely longer. Most of the songs have been under three minutes or a little over three minutes prior to that we jam-packed that thing more than we had done with anything else and it blew up i mean really it it pushed us further than we had ever been it was the first record that blew up to the level that um where we were like oh shit we're touring for two years and we did and we were exhausted by the time we were done with that shit i mean we were beat the fuck down by the time we had done our two years of touring essentially you know year and a half straight really but it was i'm really proud of that record i think that that record sonically it's its own beast you know it's really blush and really epic and certain songs on that record i think are the best things that we've ever done and there are jams on that record that i still think are a high watermark for what what we can do as collaborators for sure so i think that's a great place to leave it man because the next time we link up. We'll be sitting down for our final episode. Uh, we're going to pick up after that year and a half of touring and talk about the creation of Run the Jewels 4. So this has been What It Happened Was. We'll holler at y'all soon. 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 <laughs>
Don't you?